Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor and Trish McGregor and our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities, Trish's latest novel, Skin Shifters, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas. Today we're going to move into the realm where the paranormal meets the alien abduction phenomena head-on. Our guest is Deborah Jordan Cobble, who is the Kathy Davis in Bud Hopkins' classic book on alien abductions, Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Fields, that was published in 1987 and became a TV miniseries in 1992. That was also the year that Deborah ve- revealed her true identity and co-authored with her Sister Kathy Mitchell abducted. The story of the intruders continues. Debbie has since made many public appearances and has been featured on numerous radio and television shows. For four years, she co-hosted her own internet radio program, Midwest Paratalk Radio, with Greg Cable. She has also been an investigator for MUFON and has uh, and follow, founded her own paranormal research group. <clears throat> The Paranormal Underground, great title. Uh, Deb has a new book that uh, is out this year called Extraordinary Contact, Life Beyond Intruders, that we're going to be talking about, which is an expansion and update of her previous book. Welcome, Debbie. Welcome. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. I just want to tell you, we met Bud in 1987 when we covered a UFO conference in Hollywood, Florida for Omni. And we'd read Missing Time and Intruders, and it was a real pleasure to meet him and spend time with him. He was a really nice guy. Uh, we even had the opportunity to drive him to another town for a regression with a woman he talked with on a radio show. And we always wondered who the real Kathy Davis was. Now we know. <laughs> yep. Why did you come out now with a new book? Well, um, you know, it's been 38 years since the June 30, 1983 incident that was the... Uh, central uh, focus of intruders. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot's happened to me since then, uh, experience-wise and personally and spiritually even. And I've met so many people over the years like me, and uh, I just felt like, you know, I'm 62 years old now. I... uh, (laughs) My, my dad had dementia. My older sister has dementia. And I, I thought I, I was always in the back of my mind. I worry that that will be my fate, whether it will or not. I don't know. But there's so much that was in my mind that I wanted to get out and down somewhere for safekeeping, mm-hmm. especially for my granddaughter. She's mm-hmm. 15 now. And for my future family, once I'm gone, so they know who they came from. They know me. They know who I am and, and where they came from. And for uh, people like me, and I know there 
are probably millions of people like me around the mm -hmm. world who've had weird experiences and have never told anybody and have been afraid to. I want them to not be afraid, you know, to speak out and and talk about the things they've seen and done because I uh -huh. feel like there's a big change coming. And um, I think that, you know, the more people that, wake up i guess for lack of mm -hmm. a better way to put it. it the the better it's going to be for everybody and mm -hmm. so that's my this is just my little line my little tiny contribution to the whole thing you know i feel like it's a wonderful book yeah well, on reading your book it was uh like you it sounds like about three lives uh, packed <laughs> into one with all your experiences that was pretty incredible stuff <laughs> i know and it's only like 194 pages it's not yeah, that right. <laughs> And, and that I didn't get everything in there, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is nothing boring in that book, <laughs> yeah, that's, nothing. That's amazing. So why don't we start by telling, uh, if you could tell us about the mark in the yard and the day your life really changed. Yeah, well, that was on June the 30th, 1983. And um, I had been, I had recently moved back home with my parents. I had two little preschool kids and two little boys, and I was in, going through a divorce, so um without a job and any money, uh, my parents took us back in and I was, uh, preparing myself to go cut some patterns out for a friend who also lived the street behind us. She was a costume maker and she would give me a little spending money to help her cut patterns out. I couldn't sew worth a darn, but I could cut a straight line oh. like nobody's business. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, anyway, I was standing in the, at the sink, looking out the kitchen window and I noticed a light in the pump house at my in my parents' swimming swimming pool has a pump house, probably about the size of a mini barn or, mm. you know, not even that big, actually, but, you, you know, roughly. There's a light in it that struck me as odd. And I mentioned it to my mom and she said, don't worry about it. But it kept sticking in the back of my mind. So five minutes or so later when I got in my car, I decided to drive along the side driveway because our driveway splits. One part went to uh, the front uh attached garage the other part went along the side of the house down the side of the swimming pool and there was a turnaround in front of my dad's workshop back there so I thought I'm just going to go back just to look and make sure I don't see anybody out there messing around because I mean I was thinking prowlers and burglars and I'm mm -hmm. leaving my parents leaving my mom at home with my little ones because dad was working second shift at Ford so he wouldn't be home until later and uh, when I drove past, you know, there, I didn't see anything. So I went on over to Deanna's. And um, when I got there, I called my mom because I had noticed that the pedestrian door to the garage that was attached to the house was now open. And I knew that wasn't supposed to be open. So I was thinking somebody got in there. So I called her and told her. And she said, don't worry about it. I'll just lock the door. When your dad gets home, he can worry about it. Uh, she <laughs> said, we'll be fine. So I'm like, okay. So I hang up the phone and then she called right back and I answered it and she said, um, I want you to come home right now. And I kind of disturbed me because it was so sudden and so different than how she had just sounded when I just talked to her. She sounded scared, which was out of character for her. So um, I'm like, why? What's going on? And, you know, my friend and her husband are overhearing this conversation and her husband, Larry, yells out, hey, tell her to call the police. That's what we pay him for. <laughs> and she heard him, but she said, no, I don't want anybody here but you. I'm like, okay. So hmm. I, I left and I went back 
And uh, I pulled up that side drive again and got out and went into the Florida room that was right alongside that drive. And I went in there. Mom was in there. And I reached for this uh, shotgun that was uh, tucked behind the trash compactor. And she said, you know, that's not loaded, right? And I said, yeah, I know. I had asked my dad to unload it when we moved in because I didn't want my kids to be able to access a loaded gun, you know. Mm -hmm. So he took Mm -hmm. all the stuff out of it, but there was it was just there. And I said, whoever sees me with this isn't going to know it's loaded till I get close enough that I can like smack them with it or something, (laughs) something to that effect. And Uh, And then I went out there and this was also out of character for me because at that time, young, you know, 23 year old kid, I was not brave at all. Uh, I was also not thinking about aliens or uh, UFOs or anything like that. I was thinking about burglars. Uh, Now I would not hesitate, but then no, that, that was not like me. Well, I went out there looking around, didn't see anything, checked the pump house, went back behind the swimming pool and found my dog under dad's ladder truck, but she wouldn't come out to me. So I just left her. And then I headed towards that garage and that open door. And I went in there and flipped on the light. There was nobody in there. There was a, a box spring and mattress leaned up against the wall on one side of the garage. And I thought, if it, somebody's in here, that's where they got to be. There's no other place for them to hide. So I'm like Elmer Fudd slinking around this mattress, <coughs> cussing my head off and trying to be all brave. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm on fire. And I think in my mind, oh, hell, I got to get out of here. And um, I turned and ran towards the pedestrian door. And when I hit that door, when I hit that open doorway, something hit me in the, I call it the chest. It's like my right between my chest and my gut hit me so intensely this white light and i know my eyes had to be shut but i could still see it i couldn't i couldn't get away from it i couldn't move and i could feel every single molecule of my body it felt like i could literally feel every individual molecule my vibrate my body vibrate and shake and and time literally stopped for me because i had no idea how long this continued on absolutely none when it stopped when the shaking and the vibrating stopped and the intensity of the light waned i found myself out a little bit further from the doorway out on the cement patio and i could feel someone pull me from behind my right shoulder pull down on it and then it felt like somebody shoved a hot poker in my ear all the way into my head and i couldn't move i couldn't scream i couldn't do anything I could move my eyes around, but I couldn't see very good. At this point, my eyes were blasted like flashbulb. Mm. The white, you know, how when you don't, if you don't blink and the flashbulb right. gets you just right. right like that. Yeah. So I could see out in front of me and I could see some stuff, but I couldn't make out a lot of detail. I could see movement. I, uh, as soon as I felt that burning sensation in my head, I immediately heard this voice that said it was unfortunate that I had felt pain. Mm. And that about that time, I noticed a ball of light in front of me, maybe 20, 25 feet, about the size of a basketball. And it was much easier to look at. Um, it was softer, not as intense. It moved down really slowly to the ground and then back up again where it started, which was about as high as I am tall. And I'm five foot three. Um, 
Was your mom in the house still during all this? As far as I know, my mom uh-huh. was in the, to my knowledge, she was still, and so were my kids. Uh-huh. Um, I uh, started seeing movement in the yard and I could see what I thought were children in the backyard, but there were six of them. And I thought, I remember thinking, what are these kids doing in mom's backyard? <laughs> and uh, they all kind of lined up in front of me off to my right up near the driveway and then they just slid real easy just kind of glided down in front of me and I could follow them with my eyes and when I they got uh just to my left a little bit closer to me but they didn't really come at me they went in, they went to this thing and that's when I saw that thing in the yard which we called a craft for the last 38 years, but I, mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know how six anybody's, especially <laughs> even little kids, could get in there and fly anywhere. It was not big. It was not. Like it, big, was, maybe. it was. It wasn't. It wasn't much bigger than that pump house, huh. which was like about the size of a mini barn, maybe a smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, it was maybe not even 10 feet tall, and it was shaped like an egg. Smaller at the top, bigger around in the middle, and then smaller at the bottom. I don't even know if it was completely touching the ground or not. I couldn't see for sure, but I thought I saw it kind of waver a little bit. But uh, that could have been my eyes, too. It had a cup, some appendages sticking out of the middle of it. Not not the bottom, but the middle. Uh, and Ooh, like, like the top? No, com- coming out the middle of it. There were like these leg uh, things. They were skinny, mm-hmm. though. They didn't look strong enough to like hold weight. So I don't know what they were. Um, and uh, I, I, when I first saw it, I thought, "Oh my God, I can't look at this. I don't, I don't want to look at it." But then I thought, "Oh, you need to look at it because you need to know where it is, <laughs> in case it comes towards you." You know. So did the the beings uh, disappear inside that uh, egg shaped? I didn't see them go in. Mm-hmm. I just, I was following them. And then I saw that thing and it was like my brain froze. And I don't know that I didn't. So I can't say that I literally saw them go into it because when I saw that thing, my I just kind of, my eyes locked on it and I couldn't stop looking at it, but I I didn't want to. You know what, what I mean? What color was it? I don't. It, it was dark. It, I mean, it wasn't. Uh-huh. It wasn't shiny or bright. It. It was a dull, dark mm. color. Mm. Um, and I remembered thinking, "Oh my God, my kids!" At that point, I thought, oh, "My kids." And uh, again, that voice said to me, "Your your children are fine." Hmm. And now, did you did you experience any missing time? Yeah, actually. Uh, what I remember here was probably maybe 15 or 10, 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And Bud, uh, through interviewing me, my mom, uh, taking into account what time my dad got off his shift, what time he showed up, what mm-hmm. time I wound up back at my friend's house. Uh, it was probably an hour and 15 minutes. That, and, mm-hmm. and I still don't fully remember all of that, mm-hmm. even yeah. now, 38 years later. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, that was probably what Bud was first would first ask you about was missing time since his uh, earlier book yeah. had been called missing. Time. <laughs> right. So um, I I uh, w- when I heard my name being called, I it was like someone snapped my fingers and everything I just described to you completely wiped out of my mind. Jeez. 
completely. And I remember turning around and walking up the c- cement steps to that upper porch and, and mom had her head out the window and she said, are, are, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I said, yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but then I didn't want to sew anymore. I thought, Ooh, I need to, I just feel gross. I want to go get wet. So mm-hmm. I went back to my friend's house and I said, Hey, instead of sewing, how about we go, um, how about we go, uh, um, swim and she's like okay that sounds cool so she grabbed her <laughs> preteen and the three of us came back to mom's and went and got in the pool and after we were there well as we walked across the yard her daughter stepped on something we thought it was a bee but um after we got in the pool we all started getting nauseous and i started mm-hmm. being my eyes started hurting real bad and i was seeing halos around everything mm. and uh first we were going to go to white castle which made no sense, but we <laughs> thought maybe we'll feel better if we get something to eat. And then uh, we that got aborted, and then we um, they just went home, and I went to bed. And the next morning, I woke up, and my eyes were swelled shut, and I was in Jeez. so much pain that I was taken to the emergency room. And from there, I was taken to a, an eye specialist who examined me, and the first question out of his mouth was, have you looked into the arc of a welder's torch? And I'm like, no. Wow. <laughs> and, and I'm not telling him about what happened the night before because I still don't remember it at that point. All I remember is something bad happened, and I was scared, and I couldn't mm. sleep. I started having – I thought I, – I think I had a nervous breakdown. I would up all night watching my children and then sleep during the day when mom was up and the sun was up, you know, that weekend, the family came over to celebrate the 4th of July and the kids ran outside with their uh, towels. And my oldest nephew came running right back in and said, grandma, what's wrong with your yard? So, you know, we were all inside getting ready for the cookout. So we all went out there and there was that mark. And the first thing my mom says is, well, that's where the UFO landed the other night. Oh, <laughs> I know. And I looked at her and I thought, why in the hell did you say that? And, and, and it, but the minute I thought that, everything started coming back. And I started oh. to remember the light. I started to remember the kids in the yard moving around. I mean, and as the days passed after that, I even started remembering things that had happened to me when I was young that I completely oh. like logged away. Uh, and so uh, eventually I ended up writing to Bud because I had read parts of Missing Time. Mm-hmm, I read mm-hmm. enough of it to know there was a an address in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. So I went I went back to the library and I got it and I I uh, wrote to him. And the reason I had really read it in the first place or tried to and, and um, you know, connected everything was because my older sister – in 1965, had always told us of a time when she took my mother to the bingo game to drop her, dropped her off. And on the way home from dropping mom off the bingo game, she suddenly felt this compulsion to pull into the parking lot of the Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Indianapolis. And so she pulled into the parking lot and drove around to the back of the church. And as soon as she parked her car, she looked up, there was this giant UFO right over her car. And it picked her whole car up. Not just oh, really? It picked her entire car up with her in it. And the next thing she remembered was waking up in her car in the parking lot. It's dark out. And not only is it dark out and time has passed, it's time to pick mom up from the bingo game. So multiple hours had passed. 
she went and picked my mom up and she was hysterical, told mom everything, talked about it all the time. And I heard it when I was a little because she was 11 years older than me. So we heard it growing up. We always just assumed it was true because she wouldn't have a reason to tell a story like that and be upset like she used, would get, you know. So uh, I wrote Bud and I told him about her first, but I didn't get her permission. So she was kind of mad at me for a while. <laughs> and then I said, oh, by the way, this happened uh, uh, about a week or so, a couple weeks ago. And <laughs> like 15 pictures fell out of the uh, film. Can you describe the mark uh, on the ground? Yeah, what that because looks like? We also looked at a mark with Bud that was in the, the woman he had regressed. We were walking around outside and he goes, yep, this is the mark. Yeah. Remember that? So well, it was a it was an eight foot diameter circle, roughly, and it had a forty nine foot swath coming off one edge of it, and uh, the end of it was ended in a, the end of this forty nine foot swath ended in a perfect arc, and it was exactly two feet wide. Mm. All the grass inside of it had just basically laid down. It wasn't crushed. It just looked like the grass blades had laid down mm. and and turned this weird grayish beige color and the dirt under it was hard as a rock and it had an uh, odd kind of a grayish color and it smelled kind of weird mm-hmm. snow melted off of it for the first year that mark was there Jeez. and the mark, the mark remained for about two and a half years before it mm. was healed in and the grass that started to grow around the outer edges of it as it began to heal was thicker Blade. The blades were thicker. They were a more of a purplish green color. They were hardier looking, huh. and, and they came in in clumps. Hmm. So, now you still have some damage to your eyes, right? Oh yeah, I was diagnosed with cataracts and macular degeneration in my thirties, and because my vision never got better after that, my eyes were always a wreck, and they used to water and burn for no reason, and hmm. my vision. I got real farsighted. I could see far away, but I couldn't see close up, which is, I think, unusual for someone that was that uh, young because I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time I was in my 30s, I had cataracts and macular degeneration, uh-huh. but it's dry. And uh, by the time I hit 50, they had to replace both my lenses. So I have new lens mm. implants mm. and my my macular degeneration is stable because I am on all kinds of nutritional supplements for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm. I have to get dilated every six months and they follow me very closely, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I, I have no proof, but I will go to my grave swearing that that night is what messed up my eyes. Huh. And I can honestly believe it was unintentional. I don't think anything was trying to hurt me. I think it was an in, unintentional uh, side effect of uh-huh. what was happening that, that, Nobody could do anything about. I just don't think it was done maliciously. Yeah, and you experienced some uh, PST, uh, P- PTSD, PTSD after that as well, didn't you? After that oh experience? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had terrible anxiety. Uh, I had I was prone to anxiety prior to that, and I believe it was because of other things that happened in my life that were related to this weird stuff. Mm. But this really threw me over the edge. And uh, the first time I went to New York and met Bud. When I got off the bus, he took me right to a psychiatrist's office immediately, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, uh, when I was on the bus on the way there, I had a panic attack because I thought, what are you doing? You're a mother and you're going to New York by yourself (laughs) to see a man who wrote a book about UFOs. Are you insane? That guy could be an axe murderer. You know, I, you know, I almost jumped off the bus, but I didn't. And, uh, 
But so, and, and eventually that Bud had made arrangements for me to have some uh, verbal and psychological testing. And uh, during the test, I remember telling the one of the people who was conducting the test, I said, you know, it's okay if you tell me I'm crazy because I know they make pills for that and I'm good <laughs> with taking a pill. Uh, the only thing they can come up with was that I was of above average intelligence and that I had symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was 34, 35 years ago yeah. before people talked about that, right. mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and they made the point of saying, you know, you have to have something traumatic to cause this. Mm-hmm. This just doesn't spontaneously happen. Did Bud regress you? Um, Yes, I've been regressed. Uh, Dr. Clamar was actually the very first mm. person to regress me. And basically, that was just to show me what it felt like. Right. And we didn't really dig very deeply into anything. And um, and it was nice because I was very anxious and it, it helped me calm down. That's the, mm-hmm. I think that's what the purpose of it was. But uh, I've been regressed by Bud a few times. Not, ver- not as ma- many as people assume because... You know, people have to remember he lived in New York City and I lived in Indiana, yeah. uh, which is a 1500 miles and 17 hour bus trip. You know, <clears throat> this was prior to cell phones. So a long distance phone call was expensive. We right. would, we might get to have I uh, take a five minute phone call maybe once a, every couple of weeks or once a month mm-hmm. just to check on me. But most of our stuff was done through letters. You know, write, writing letters and drawing pictures and stuff. So I didn't have that many occasions to be hypnotized by him. And there wasn't anyone else in right. the area that would do that. So, But uh, m- most of my, I would say 80% of my memories uh, have uh, been spontaneously remembered without hypnosis. Mm-hmm. I did remember some things under hypnosis. But the interesting thing for it with me was I actually ended up remembering more after I woke up in the following couple of weeks. Huh. Little little things would start to come back. Uh, Mom and I would be sitting at the kitchen table talking about something, and uh, she'd, she'd say something that would be like a trigger. To, and I'm like, oh, my God, do you remember this? And then I would tell her because it would just come back to me. And she's like, oh, yeah, I can't believe I forgot that. You know? Do so you think that, she was an abductee? Mom? My mom, well, I think it's possible. My mm-hmm. mom was adopted. She was adopted by a, a, sta- a master sergeant in the army when she was two and taken to China and lived there for a couple of wow. years. And then, and then lived in Rhode Island and then wound up back in Kentucky where she met my dad when she was 16. But she remembers in Kentucky uh, being chased through the woods by a blonde haired boy. Wow. And uh, and somehow she associates that boy with the scar on her shin that is exactly like the one I have, which mm. I which I associate with a blonde haired boy that I encountered when I was about five or six. Huh. So, so like I, we don't know about her real family, blood family uh-huh. much, but I know that. And then my youngest son had some stuff happen. And then my, maybe my granddaughter, uh, it's kind of weird, a little something that happened to her. So recently, um, you mean, well, you said she's 15. Yeah. She'll be 15 in September, you know, in a month Mm -hmm. when she was about five, four or five, my son called me up frantic one day. He said, mom, what the hell have you been saying to Emma? And I'm like, what? (laughs) 
I don't know what you're talking about. He said she's been waking up at night screaming bloody murder, saying that the alien, she, he, Robbie oh, called geez. it an alien. She said it was the big, the little man with the big head was going to come and take her through her window. And I'm like, Robbie, I said, I have not said anything because that was our rule uh-huh. with, with my kids and with her. We don't talk about it around them. I don't want. I didn't want their memory to be contaminated by something they heard later. And if they chose to uh, look into things later, and I didn't want them to get scared. Yeah. You know. So I, I I was in tears. He didn't let her come and see me until it stopped, which took about three months. And Jeez. he 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 got shades on her windows. He got uh, a radio and a nightlight, and he even went and got a bottle, uh, a can of air freshener and made a new label on it that said, go away, alien spray or something like that. <laughs> so they had this ritual every night when they went in, and it finally stopped. So, and and nothing ever happened after that that they know of, and she started coming back to my house and spending the weekend and all that. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to right before COVID shut down, she's here with me hanging out. We're watching TV. Ancient Aliens commercial pops up and I'm just, you know, I just, I looked at it for a minute and then I scrolled on and she looked at me and she said, Hey, Nene. I said, Hey, what? (laughs) She said, do you believe in aliens? And I looked, I I looked at her and said, (laughs) yeah, I do. And that's all I said. And she said, cool. So do I. And I said, I said, okay. And I'm, and I didn't say anything else about it because I thought now she knows Mm-hmm. That if she wants to talk about it, she can talk to me because I know she can't talk to her. Her dad does not no. want to talk about it at all. It scared the hell of him when he was little, and he didn't want to talk about it at all. Oh, that's interesting. But it is. Did something happened to him? Um, I don't know if anything happened to him or not, but I know he saw some things happen uh-huh. to his brother. Hmm. They shared a bedroom together. He would wake up screaming in the middle of the night saying a red spider was on the wall and that the big man, the little man in the closet was coming to get his little brother. And then the, the little brother would be in the other bed covered with blood out his nose, smeared up the wall and all over the place and not even wake up because, you know, you'd think if your little brother, your big brother was screaming in the bed next to yours, you'd wake up, but he didn't. <laughs> So huh. we take take him to the emergency room and get his nose cauterized. So, wow. Could you go back to the point where Bud first contacted you? You wrote the letter, and right. how much time went by? And uh, he called you. Is that what happened? Well, actually, uh, yeah, he did call. What happened was my mom had the letter, and she I gave it to her to mail. But apparently, I found out later that she didn't mail it for couple weeks at least she she because she kept thinking i don't know if i want to do this i don't know if i Uh want to do this well she said she she told bud later she found herself standing in front of the mailbox dropping bills in because that's how you paid bills back then Mm. and something told her you you need to mail debbie's letter too and she pulled it out looked at it shoved it in the mailbox and thought well i hope that was the right thing to do this said what she said she thought doesn't tell bud and I guess it was a few weeks past after that. So it was it was a month or so at least before I I came out home one night from being out with some friends and mom was laying on the couch and she said, hey, that guy that you wrote to that wrote that book called and I just about passed out. I, re- <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, my God, what do I do? And she said his phone number is over there next to the phone calling back. 
if you want, you know, and I walked over there and I looked at the number and I hesitated for a minute and I started shaking so hard and my heart, my heart was pounding in my throat and I dialed the number and uh, for a split second, I thought when he answered it, I was going to hang up. But as soon as I heard his voice, I spoke and that was it. Huh. Three years later. You, you took this uh, really weird bus trip to New York City where you met Lars. I read no, that, that. That's the, that's the, the return trip. trip yeah. yeah, that was very strange. <laughs> yeah, could you talk about that? <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, and Lars was a pseudonym also. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody, even Copley Woods is a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was on the way home from New York after my first trip, first and I was, trip. yeah, and I was feeling um, very uh, weird. I was kind of afraid to go home. I don't know why I had this uh, misconception that I was safe in a big city and I was going back to the cornfields and I'd be a sitting duck (laughs) and that I was almost afraid they would be mad at me because I told someone, you know? Mm. And so, uh, and I also, Bud kind of threw a couple monkey wrenches in my coping skills of thinking most of it was dreams and not real. And so I was trying to deal with that also. You know, because I was getting some confirmation I didn't right. particularly want at that time. But um, mm. so we stop in Pen- somewhere in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia or somewhere like that. It was the first stop the bus made out of New York. Mm-hmm. And on the way there, I was so freaked out and paranoid about everybody that I like I slept sitting up with my purse wrapped around my neck and in a little fetal ball because I didn't want anyone <laughs> touching me or talking to me. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And uh, and I thought to myself, I'm not riding with some gross pop, uh, gross pickpocketer this time. I'm going to pretend like I'm asleep and just lay on my seat and hopefully no one will sit with me because the bus was kind of empty. And I could feel people getting on, and I peeked up over the bus seat, and just as I did, this guy was getting on, and he looked like directly at me, like he walked in that bus knowing I was there, locked oh. eyes, and I, my heart stopped because he was the most gorgeous human being I'd ever seen in my life. And all I could think of was, well, if I have to sit next to somebody, I hope it's him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. And he was smiling at me like he could almost hear what I was saying. It was so weird. And a couple of military guys got on, and um, they one sat with me, darn it, and then another one sat across <laughs> the aisle. And then here comes Lars, and he he sits down in another seat. And then he uh, the bus gets a little more full, and he says to one of the guys sitting next to me, he goes, "You know, you guys look really tired." If you would like, I I would give you my seat so the two of you could each have a seat and sleep. And I would, if the lady doesn't mind, I'd be more than happy to sit with her. And I'm thinking, oh, (laughs) my God, yes. (laughs) So was he blonde? Oh, yes. Uh He was so gorgeous. His his features were beautiful and chiseled. He had the most beautiful um, robin egg blue eyes I'd ever seen. His hair was about to his shoulders and kind of a kind of a um, dishwater blonde, curly, wavy, you know. I mean, he was just gorgeous <laughs> and perfect. Everything about him was perfect. His teeth, his hands, everything. I was, I was looking him over good, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so anyway, he, he sat down and we started talking. And one of the first things he said to me was, what, what, where you know where are you going where are you from what why what were you doing in new york and i didn't want to tell him 
you know, about <laughs> Bud or Your aliens wife. or any of that weird stuff. So I just said, well, I was just there uh, visiting some friends and doing a little investigating or some, something along those lines. And he throws his head back with this kind of sing-songy laugh and says, oh, the extraterrestrials will love that. And I said, what? <laughs> that he is said, weird. <laughs> he said, never mind. And then you know what? It was like somebody snapped a finger and I was under this guy's spell. All the weird ways that he behaved through the entire trip. It it was just like, I didn't care. It just went right over my head and I never n- noticed it or realized or recognized it as strange at all. It just uh-huh. felt so comfortable. And by the time uh, the trip was over, and I was in tears thinking, I'm never going to see this guy again. I'm going to die. And I have a, two kids and, an, and a fiance, mind you. Oh, uh, he says, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm never going to see him again. Uh, he's, uh, he doesn't even have my phone number. And he looks up at me right, right then and says, oh, don't worry. I'll see you again someday soon, I promise. And he said, give me your phone number. So I wrote it down. God. And, you know, it didn't even dawn on me that he heard me thinking Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it, it was so bizarre that the bus stopped in the middle of nowhere at one point in this trip. And the bus driver got out and walked out into this field. And I I said to him, what is he doing? What is there something wrong with the bus? Nobody, everybody else in the bus. I swear, everybody was asleep the entire oh. trip. The whole time, nobody ever said anything. Every once in a while, somebody might look back at us and look at us weird, but hmm. nobody really ever interacted with us. They all looked like they were asleep. So anyway, I said to him, why is this guy walking out into the field in the dark? And he goes, well, maybe he's just checking the bus tires or something, or maybe he has to go to the bathroom. I said, well, if he has to go to the bathroom, he's there's a bathroom right here next to us. <laughs> I mean, he could use that one, you know? So he was gone a couple minutes, and and, and Lars says, well, don't worry, it's okay, we're fine, don't worry about it. I'm like, and he pats me on the leg and everything, you know. And the bus driver comes back, gets in, and off we go. And then we stop mm. at this bus stop, which I think is a really cool-looking bus stop in the middle of nowhere. It's like two stories high, and it's round, and it has all these windows Brother. with all the lights coming out of it. And, you know, there's the gas pumps and uh-huh. awnings and things like that. It looks like a bus stop, but it's a very cool, you know, modern one. And I'm like, I'm hungry. <laughs> And I'm going to get out and go in here and get something to eat. And he's like, okay. He didn't go with me. He stayed on the bus. I went in there. The bus driver and I were the only two that got off. Huh. I went in there and bought a sandwich and a drink. There were three people in there, two girls who looked like twins and an older man. I got a sandwich and, co- and a drink and sat down and started eating. And I thought, this stuff tastes like S-H-R-T. <laughs> uh, it tastes like it did. And I thought that in my head. I'm like, oh, but I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat it. And uh, they were all just, even the bus driver got a cup of coffee and sat down, and all of them were just staring at me. And it was the weirdest feeling God. ever. <laughs> so I finish, and I go to the bathroom, and I open the door, and the mirror is facing the door. You know, So when I open the door, the first thing I see is myself, you think. The first thing I saw when I opened the door was this blonde woman, like really blonde. And she's got a cobalt blue shirt on all the way up to her neck and really beautiful blue eyes. And I looked at her and I'm I'm like, who the 
you know, and I rub my eyes and think, oh my God. And then I look again and it's me and I'm like, oh Lord, I must be tireder than I think. I go to the bathroom and come back out, go back to the bus. Just as I get to the bus, some one dude like staggers off the bus and walks around like he's drunk. And I don't, I, I don't even think he does anything except get back on the bus. So when I get in and uh, Lars says, well, did you have a nice, did you get something to eat? Did you have a nice stop? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I never saw him go to the bathroom in 17 hours. He oh never, God. He, he never grew a beard. He never drank anything. And at one point he said to me, and this is, I know this sounds weird and it's totally out of character for me. Remember, this is a girl who took her first bus trip to New York with her purse wrapped around her neck in the fetal position. <laughs> this guy says to me, can I kiss you? Wow. And I looked at him and said, yeah, <laughs> I ain't going to lie. That's exactly what I did. And he kissed me and it was so electric. I, I can't even describe it to you, but I felt it all the way to my toes. And when, and when he stopped, he pulled back and looked at me and he said, wow. <laughs> and, I thought, and I thought to myself, my, my fiance doesn't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, uh, and he, you know, he acted like I was the first human being he had ever kissed in his life. And he thought it was fantastic, you know, and that was it. I was done. You you know, (laughs) he could have knocked me over. I would have followed this guy to wherever uh, and and never thought twice about it, you know? So that, when I got home from New York and I called Bud immediately, of course, because I was like, I cried for two weeks. I hmm. felt like a part of my soul was ripped away when right. I had to, when I had, this is weird and I'm not like this. And yeah. I, and I called Bud and told him and Bud's like, that's, that's, I'm, you know, I know he thought, Ooh, she has lost her mind. <laughs> you know, even my friend Rosemary, who I met through Bud when, when she heard about it, her first thought was, Oh, that poor thing is so lonely. And I thought, no, he's real. Damn it. I'm telling you. And so Bud helped me over the phone with a little bit of a self-hypnosis to try to remember some little details that he had told me. And I did. I remembered enough that Bud was able to find him and prove that he was really a human being. But (laughs) Bud talked to him. Bud talked to the guy he was staying with. The guy that he's staying with said, yes, he's a very uh, eccentric person. He will disappear for years at a time, and no one knows where he's at, and then he'll show back up again out of the blue with no mention of where he was, and Mm. he acts like he just saw you yesterday. And he said he was very smitten with the young lady. He talked about her a lot when he got here. And uh, Did you ever see him again? No, I didn't. I didn't. I did in my dreams. I did Mm. in... When I fell asleep, I saw him. He came to me two or three times in those vivid, lucid dreams. Uh-huh. You know, the weird thing was I when I, I I tried to Google him for 20 years and I could never find anything except one picture. But the guy had a motorcycle helmet on. That wasn't going to do me any good. <laughs> and um, I could never find hardly any. I couldn't find anything. And then one day, right before we had moved in 2013 and the tornado hit us and ruined everything, um, he, I Googled it and it popped up a graveyard in Sweden, mm. in a little coastal city. I have the picture of his tombstone. His birthday matched the birthday that he told me. 
And the date of his death was in 1985 or 86. It was, it was right after we met that he died. So all those visits that I had from him were after death, after he died. Mm -hmm. And in one of these visits, he came to me when I was in the hospital and I was getting ready to have a myelogram. My back was so bad that I couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm, um, um, I'm about to have myelogram and maybe back surgery. He goes, what is this place? And I said, it's a hospital. And he goes, you don't belong here. And he laid down next to me and hugged me. And the next Mm -hmm. morning when I woke up, I got up out of bed and went to the bathroom before I realized I had walked and nothing hurt. So they canceled the myelogram and I was discharged and my back was fine. Wow. Uh, and then one time he came to me and he said, here, take my hand. I want to take you somewhere really cool. You're going to like it. So I took his hand and as soon as I did, everything went black and I, I felt weird and flat. And I remembered saying to him, I could hear him. I could feel his hand in my hand, but he sounded like he was in another room. Hmm. And then I got scared and I said, I can't breathe. <laughs> and I heard him say, oh shit, you can't go yet. You're not ready. And he said, let go of my hand. And when I let go of his hand, oh. I woke up. Huh. Oh, wow. So oh, wait, how did Bud find him? Bud called the place where I told him that he had see the guy told me that he had uh ha- had come here to America. He said he was from around Sweden, which uh-huh. I know around Sweden makes no sense. Okay. <laughs> and that went right over my head too. But he said he had come here to visit a friend and the friend was letting him work. Uh, in his courier business in exchange to let him stay there. And he had gone, he told me why he was in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania or wherever he was. Something about a kid had brain damage and that he was going there because there was a new technique that grow to that brain cells could regrow. Well, this was in, you know, 1984 mm-hmm. or five. I don't think that that was happening back then, but I could be wrong. But anyway, um, I remember the name of the company that he told me the name of the company and the name of the guy. And we found Bud found the address and phone number and Bud called them and talked to them. Huh? I remembered his I remembered his all three of his names. He is three names. I remembered his birthday. Can I remember that his birthday was one year? I mean, one month and one day different than mine, except he was. uh, Hmm. 10 years older than me or eight he was he was older than me but our birthdays were one day and and one month different huh. so my his was mine was february 17th and his was march 16th hmm. so deb you wow. write, you write about uh, paranormal phenomena that you've uh, encountered over the years that have uh, seemed to be might be related to the abduction experience. Uh, tell us about the poltergeist experiences that you've encountered. They're pretty scary. <laughs> well, uh, one time scary. <laughs> one time we woke up and the kids' room was full of bees. I mean, hundreds, maybe thousands oh. of. Them. But they were all real lethargic, and they we dad swept them up with his shop vac. Um, but uh, they were like hanging off the light fixtures and the curtains and everything. But they weren't stinging anybody and we don't know how they got in there because the windows had been painted shut and there were no attic doors in that room. And this was a sandstone house. So there wasn't hmm. like, it couldn't climb in under the clapboard right. and shoot their 
way in. So we don't know how they got in there. And uh, one time my mom, my sister and I were sitting at the kitchen table having a cigarette and drinking coffee. This is before I quit. <laughs> and I, mom had one of those huge amber glass ashtrays. Big, heavy ones. I reached over to flip my cigarette ash in the ashtray and just at the exact moment I flipped down with my finger, that ashtray snapped in half with a loud crack <laughs> and one end slid to one side of the table, one end slid to the other and all the cigarette butts wow. were still sitting on the table in the middle. God. And my mom was like, oh my God, that, that ashtray was expensive. She was mad. <laughs> I was like, cool, did I do that? Because it seemed like as just as I flipped down, it snapped. So I was like, Boom, I busted it with my finger or something. I thought it was cool. My other, my older sister all was not entertained at all. And she said, uh, I'm out of here. She picked her purse up and she went home. So um, we, uh, one time mom and me and the kids were sitting in the living room watching TV. And I, for some reason, I just happened to look up at just the right time. And because I heard this loud pop and I looked up and in the middle of the room, I saw my mom. She had her head down with her hands over her eyes. My Both my kids had their heads down, and I was looking up, and there was this green, intense green light, ball of light that popped into mom's living room. And when it did, the TV shut off, the telephone ring, mm. and the light bulb in the lamp that my mom was sitting next to busted. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what that was. But it was uh, around all of us. And then mom was downstairs one time watching her shows in the lower family room. And there's a half wall of mirrors with two big swag lamps and the bottoms open were open. And mom said she got up during a commercial to go do something and she heard a pop and she turned around and looked. And one of the light bulbs in one of those lamps shattered. All the glass dropped right down just below the opening of the lamp and shot across the room and sprinkled all over where she had just gotten God. up. Hmm. Nobody ever got hurt. But it was always like just, hey, look. Yeah, right. We're here. You wrote, you wrote about uh, one experience where you were in the basement holding your child, who I think was a baby at the time, and you heard footsteps, so heavy footsteps and then lighter footsteps upstairs, and there was nobody home. Can you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was doing laundry and I had the kids with me, and uh, they were little. I had a playpen set up in the, the lower part of the family room where mom was. And the lawn, the washer and dryer was down in the lower basement and uh, nobody was home. I had the door shut to the upstairs and um, I was folding clothes and I could hear uh, what it sounded like kids running around upstairs and uh, heavier footsteps. And then I heard this. I think I heard the stereo flip on and off multiple times and I got freaked out. And I remember my kids started fussing and wanted something to eat. And I knew I had to get upstairs and get to the kitchen to get a bottle. And I felt stupid because, I mean, I, you know, I felt like, you know, I I was trying to convince myself that I was just letting my imagination uh, spook uh -huh. me, you know. And then this is silly. You're a mother. You have a child here that's hungry. You need to get your fanny upstairs and get that child a bottle. And I went upstairs and... Um, I I I kind of crawled up the stairs, darted into the kitchen. I didn't see anybody. 
flung the refrigerator door open to grab a bottle that I'd stuck in the door. And it looked like all, all the lids on all the condiments and all the stuff in the fridge just kind of flew out at me. God. And I'm like, I'm like, well, this kid's drinking this bottle cold. And I snatched <laughs> it up and I ran downstairs, <laughs> left everything. And um, I think later on, when my mom came home, um, actually, I think that, and I believe that we, we noticed that the back door, like the chain was on it. So nobody could have been in the house. Hmm. Nobody came in from that way. Anyhow, the chains were on the doors, uh, on the back door. But, uh, mom said later on when she was on the phone talking to my sister and telling her about this, she looked up and noticed that the oven light was on. And she said, and she looked at Kathy and said, oh, the oven light's on. She told Bud, I never used turn that oven light on. So mm-hmm. to, to her, that was something, confirmation for her that what I had told her yeah. might have been completely a, a, a figment of my imagination, you know. You know what's uh, odd, Deb, is I was reading that yesterday and uh, after I had uh, made some dinner and when I, I was heading back uh, to my office to uh, read some of your book. And I noticed that my the oven light was on and I never have the oven light on. <laughs> How did that happen? So I turned off and I go and read your book and you talk about the oven light. Being on. <laughs> That's <laughs> so a good synchronicity. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just stuff, sometimes stuff like that happened on a daily basis, little things. Like uh-huh. my little sister had a boyfriend downstairs. My bedroom was in the basement when I was a teenager you know, because I wanted to be alone and my walls were black and I had, you know, <laughs> black light paint on them and all that. And th- there was a there was an old metal wardrobe and it wouldn't stay shut. The magnets didn't work. So I had twisted a, a coat hanger around it to hold it closed. And the pool table was also down in another room in the basement. My little sister was down there with a the boyfriend one time just getting neck, neck into the band, you know. <laughs> and Sher- they came running upstairs screaming bloody murder. And Sherry swarping down that while they were down there making out in front of this uh, wardrobe, <laughs> the, ward- the, the coat hanger unwound itself. And then it, she thought I was in there and that oh, I was God. trying to scare them that somebody kicked the doors out from inside but when she ran upstairs me and mom were upstairs and she's like oh you know (laughs) that boy never came back (laughs) he never came back poor kid Uh, what kind of contact do you have now now is is it this kind of stuff or is it it's um it's i call it metaphysical not physical you know um I have vivid dreams. I have lucid dreams. Um, I'll have things that just pop into my mind and I draw it right down. Mm. Occasionally we see some things weird, but it's not to the magnitude that happened, uh, you know, back when I was younger. Right. Um, the last time something weird happened here, I caught it on my ring doorbell. and I'm not sure what it is. That was just a. Uh, I don't know, about a year ago. My son still lived here and he worked a midnight shift and he went to leave. And, you know, when he, of course, when he went out the front door and left, the ring doorbell tripped and and recorded him leaving. But uh, then he came back in uh, a few minutes later and he goes, mom, something weird's going on outside. I said, why? And he goes, I don't know, because... he goes, when I, when I walked out here, I heard something in the bushes, and, but I didn't see anything. But then when I got to my car, I felt like someone was looking at me, and I thought I saw something Jeez. whip past me. 
Well, when we went back and looked at the doorbells in between the times that he came and went, there was another trip that this trip, this thing had tripped the doorbell and it had been recorded. And it was like no bug I'd ever seen. It looked like one of those rod things that that guy used to um, record all the time. It was long and like a, I don't know, it was about, I'm going to say, a couple inches long. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it had a corkscrew around it. Jeez. And it swam like a fish up to my doorbell. And then it went down and it went to, I have a big clay pot that's uh, sitting on my step and it went into the side of the clay pot and disappeared huh and i got it all on the recording you know which is with the two things combined with my son's report and feeling and then having that that makes it might be something kind of weird the mention of of the ring uh reminded me of one of your stories where you lost this ring you were very fond of and how you found it yes that was weird and we do we (laughs) We still have stuff like the have today, although I don't tear up carpeting anymore. But we'll <laughs> we'll mi- misplace things, and we know w- exactly where they were, and they'll show up like a week later in some really weird, offbeat place. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I had misplaced a ring that my then boyfriend gave me, and I was just heart- heartbroken. It and I looked for it for days and couldn't find it. And when it was in the boys' room running the sweeper. Suddenly, something started telling me the rings in the hair, the rings in this room hmm. as I'm sweeping. And then it got more intense and more intense, and it got more focused as to where it might be. So I'm moving furniture around at this point, and I still don't see it. And then I start pulling up carpeting because it was kind of loose and crappy anyway. But <laughs> I, So I started pulling the carpeting up, feeling underneath of it, and I was way into the middle part of the, the room. It's not a big room, but... Uh, and I, for some reason, felt possessed to yank up part of the padding. And when I did, I pulled up my, shoved my hand up under there, and there was my ring. God. <laughs> it was under the carpeting and the padding, which was stapled down. Jeez. And way up almost to the middle of the room. So there's no way it just, like, worked itself over the edge. And it was only missing for three days, so it would, you know, it had to have mm. legs of its own to crawl all that far. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, about about the time I was tearing up that rug and padding, my mom comes in, and she is, it was right, thank God it was right before I found the ring, and my mom comes in, and she's like, what the hell are you doing? Oh, my God, you know, and I'm like, don't worry, I'll fix it, <laughs> which, by the way, I, I learned the hard way that it's really not as easy to put carpet back down, <laughs> you know. Once it's been ripped up. And once it's been ripped up, no, it's not that easy. um, Yeah, she saw the ring and she's like, oh, my God, you know, so she's on the phone calling my sister and everybody else. It seems like that's almost like a a test you were given. I mean, that ring was very well hidden and but yet you had a sense of where it would be and even where it would, you know, an impossible place wait under underneath the <laughs> rug, rug and the padding mm-hmm. and, and you I, found it. I have been tested like that oh i get tested a lot <laughs> so yeah. far i think i'm doing all right <laughs> so but yeah i've had a lot of tests let me all, ask i have another question um <clears throat> deb you said that your mother and your sister both have dementia my dad and my sister. Oh, your sister. dad and your sister. Okay. Yeah. Well, my sister's is b- mainly because she's had many strokes. 
Okay. Uh, she got uh, vasculitis of the brain about eight or nine years ago and has had so many strokes that it's left her uh, with dementia. And so she's in a care facility uh-huh. and stuff. She doesn't know. I was just wondering if it was connected to the contact. I don't think so. Um, uh, my, like I said, my father had it, but he, all, he, he didn't pass away from it. He passed away from heart failure, but, uh-huh. you know. Mm-hmm. So, Deb, you write that. But uh, after a certain time, you kind of moved away from the UFO uh, research and interest and more into the paranormal uh, for yours, and you're involved in different research. But uh, then in 2008, you write that you started having some UFO experiences that you were, uh, things that you were seeing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, when I, you know, this whole be- the whole thing began for me was scary, and it, I've really kind of um, uh, <coughs> evolved and transformed through it all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there were periods in my life when things happened, not paranormal, but just tragic. And I mm-hmm. just was like, I'm done with this. I don't want to talk about it. Leave me alone. I just want a normal life. And I would try to uh, disappear from it. I wouldn't talk about it. You know what I mean? But something always happened to drop drop kick me back in to the whole thing again. And um, mm. like right after my husband passed away back in um, 94 was a period in my life where I kind of withdrew and I'm like, just leave me alone. But um, then uh, around 2000. I don't, I don't, I think the Kokomo boom was in 2007 or something like that. I started seeing orange balls of light in the skies here where I live in Kokomo. And as a MUFON investigator, I could still get in and see the system. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing a lot of reports of this, you know, I wasn't actively investigating anymore, but I knew there were a lot of reports of people seeing these all around town. And then one night, so, and I had seen them. The first time I saw him coming home from my friend's house, it scared me so bad. And I don't know why it scared me, big dummy. But I felt like I was <laughs> going to get snatched. I just tore all the way home. And when I got in my car, I I ran from my car to my porch and I was kind of ducking. <laughs> I don't know Jeez. why I was even doing that. It just, I think it just took me off guard, you know. Mm. But um, I, I was bound and determined to get these on video and prove to my husband that I wasn't crazy, that I was seeing <laughs> things, and so are other people. So I was going out to uh, a park in on the uh, uh, west southwest side of town, and be, where there had been reports, which incidentally mm. is also a MOA, which is a a, a military exercise area uh-huh. airspace from Grissom Air Base, which was 18 miles to the north of us. And um, I'd sit there with my camera and watch, and one night. Uh, I recorded one and then mm. there's another one popped in, but then here come a bunch of jets and they, and the jets flew right over me and the orange balls of light disappeared. Well, it got to being late and I was actually on the phone with some guy in Florida when I was seeing all this. So he witnessed it through the phone, you know, uh-huh. while I was recording it. But I'm like, dude, I got to pee and I have to go to work <laughs> at six o'clock in the morning and it's 1030 almost. I got to get home. So <laughs> I because I, I, I drank a big cup of coffee. And so anyway, I got home, but I kept thinking, oh, my God, I know I am missing. I am going to miss something. I know it. I can mm. feel it. 
So I was standing at the end of my driveway with my camera still running. You couldn't see anything, but all of a sudden, all of the animals in the area, every dog, every wild animal started to howl at the same time. And you can hear it on the audio. It's very spooky. Hmm. And I thought it was very creepy. And um, I still have that audio. And, uh, but anyway, I got to where I, okay, I can't do this anymore. So I went home, I went inside, went to the bathroom, put my nightgown on, went to my office to try and get this video off of my camera. And I'm sitting there and I look up the clock and it's like 1028. And all of a sudden I hear this explosion and this orange flash that like fills up, yellowish orange flash that like fills up my office and my house shakes. And it sounds like something hits my roof. And I thought, what the hell? So I ran in and I, I tried to wake up my husband. I'm like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And he's, he didn't hear it. And then my phone rang and my son, who was a cab driver, he said, are you guys okay? And I go, what do you mean? Are we okay? And he goes, well, it just came over police radio that a plane crashed right over there by the house. And I'm like, oh what? God. So I'm outside in my nightgown with my rain boots on running around <laughs> looking for a pile. In my mind, I thought one of those jets those bunch of jets I saw all over there hit each other in mm-hmm. midair and the thump on my roof was the pilot having ejected. Yeah, you know, that's what I, so I'm looking for a body in a par- parachute in my backyard. <laughs> well, it turns out the whole big Kokomo boom thing is a huge, still to this day, a mystery. 149 huh. people called the police. Some people reported seeing a craft in the sky that exploded Mm-hmm. And uh, the military lied about why they were there. Um, they made up, a, a, they, they first they said they weren't there. Then they said they were there. But it's just a young guy got his foot in the, the gas pedal and broke the sonic mm-hmm. boom. I'm like, you don't do that over a populated area. Yeah. You, I know better than that. You know, that's BS. You're lying. And um, yeah. It, in your in your book, you have a lot of uh, the police dispatches uh, listed there of exactly what happened over time and from the uh, from the military. That was it was interesting that uh, just unfolding the story that way through. Because uh, immediately, what I started doing immediately was I went onto the website that I could listen to the police scanner on, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I started to record everything on my computer, uh-huh. and I recorded six hours of that stuff. And I wow. went through all of it and found yeah. all those clips. I wanted yeah. proof that it, like when that guy says, I met the only known debris site. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they don't say that if there's no debris yeah. from something that, right. you know, mm. so the, the whole thing they fit. And then, you know, UFO hunters uh, came out here and discovery uh, ex- ex- explanation X or whatever they call it. They came out and did a story on it. I was the MUFON investigator, one of the MUFON investigators on the case and a witness. Yeah. Wow. God. <laughs> the phenomenon has a way of just throwing me right back into the middle of things. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yeah. that was probably the most, uh, and, and it still has not been uh, the, the, what happened that night has not been if effectively explained. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, even later came out that it was acquired by one of my teammates on MUFON, uh, some radar data that he was able to get his hands on that actually showed, I think, three anomalous craft in the area, along with the military jets that were messing with. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Deb, we have one more question for you. Actually, we could talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
at some point, I don't know when the date was, that you, you bought a new house. And then you found out from, I think it was the mortgage insurance uh, people, that uh, you, you were going to be required to get a, a new roof on the house. And you also knew that you needed a new, besides a new roof, you needed a new AC, you needed a new furnace. And so you're buying this house and you had all these <coughs> expenses all of a sudden. And at the time, you were reading the, the book E Squared by Pam Grout. One of our favorites. <laughs> right. And you were doing the, the fourth, uh, what are they called, Trish? Principle. Principle. Can you talk about that? What, what yeah, that's a pretty incredible yeah. story. Yeah. And, and my husband cringes when I tell it. But it's true. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's a fact. This is what happened. I don't know if there's connection or not. I kind of wonder because I did the other lessons and I would get like a check in the mail for $12 and 30 cents. You know what I mean? That next day or something, some kind of confirmation that this was working. Uh And I was beginning to understand that you have to feel it, not just say it. And you have to change things in your mind. But um, anyway, yeah, we bought this house and we got a good deal on it. But we knew we were going to need to do a few things to it. And that was the whole point of the house and the price that we got it at. Uh-huh. What we didn't know was we were going to have to do it so quickly, you know, because the, the roof was fine. It looked fine to us and it didn't leak and it passed inspection. But my insurance company wanted to be a butthead and said, no, <laughs> if you don't put a new roof on this house within a year, we're not going to cover it or something. Like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And then, you know, the furnace and air conditioner were both 17 years old. You know, they ran fine, yeah. but you know, they weren't going to last much longer, especially if we have one good winter. But, um, so I was feeling stressed out. The move was costing more than I had anticipated as far as packing up and moving stuff. And it was just, you know, I was feeling anxiety and I'd been reading this book and I thought, you know what? The one night I was reading this book right before I went to bed and I got this compulsion, go in the room and do the exercise do this last, what, what do you got to lose? So I yeah, went definitely. in here, I lit me some sage because I love my white sage. And I, I got myself in a good headspace and I took some deep breaths and tried to, to put my head in the right spot. And then I basically said, look, universe, I want a roof, an air conditioner and a furnace. And I want it ASAP. Okay. <laughs> And then I went to bed and I I felt really good about it. I felt, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, (laughs) like I was patting myself on the back. (laughs) 36 hours after I did this. Oh, my God. My town was hit with a five mile per hour under an F3 tornado, 160 mile an hour tornado. Uh, F3 is 165. They estimated what hit us was 160. My house was the only house on the street that was completely destroyed. I mean, God. nothing left but three outer brick walls and the closet that I was wow. in. Nobody else in the neighborhood there. Now, the guy next door to me, he, his garage was closest to my house and it got kind of jacked up. So he had got a new garage. But for everybody else, it was shingles and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, siding and plant damage and stuff like that. I mean, it was horrible. It looked like a war zone, but my house was gone (laughs) and I was in it and I couldn't even get out because the bricks started caving in on top of me and the dogs. My husband managed to get out right before the uh, wall fell in. The roof was gone. 
And uh, so the fire department, had to come and dig me out but i didn't have a scratch i was wet and shaking and and freaked out but i was uninjured hmm. and um my mini barn which was probably actually where it touched down disintegrated we never found it or anything God. that was in it ever it absolutely oh. disintegrated hmm. so uh yeah my husband goes the next time you ask the universe for something can you, can you be a little more more specific on the delivery method uh, and so i got, you got, the, new, you got a new house you got a new ac you got a new roof and new i got <laughs> i got new everything <laughs> yes i got everything i asked for and some it but you took, gotta watch out what you ask for you, you should <laughs> tell pam grout that story <laughs> you, know, you know what i sh i should write her you i should i i already did it for you we've she's been on the show and been in <laughs> contact with oh, her and I, her. I, I sent her i copied it and sent it to her this morning <laughs> okay good i'll let you know what she says <laughs> yes i'm telling you i you know i still have a lot to learn and when, when i tell that story most people look at me and go you're an idiot <laughs> i can't believe you even think that and i understand Six that hours. I, that's I really, pretty quickly <laughs> i really feel i you know who 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 does this happen to you know <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of other people across the street got wrecked. It was a horrible, terrible thing. And in 2015, just two years later, another tornado that was stronger took the same exact path mm. that that did. And my husband recorded it coming right towards the house. And I'm like, dude, what was wrong with you? But at the very last minute, when it hit the Starbucks at the mall right down the street, it veered off its path and it missed us by one street this time. Wow. Yeah, if we ever get it again, though, I promise you we are not rebuilding because two weeks <laughs> later, two weeks after that happened, there was 17 inches of snow on the ground, oh. and we, we couldn't start to rebuild until April, and this happened oh. in November. So all that time, until we moved back home in September of 2014 to our new house, mm. we lived in hotels and crappy rentals, and it was a, the most stressful God. time in my life. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I got a new roof, a new air conditioner, and <laughs> yeah. thank you very oh, much. Oh, this has been great, Debbie. Thank you so much. <laughs> we enjoyed it. Everybody, buy the book and please tell people where they can find you. Oh, uh, yeah, I have a website. It's www.debshome.com, and you can email me through that website as if you'd like and share your experiences with me, and I'd be happy to, you know, listen and. Um, you can get the book through Amazon or Barn, uh, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, Kindle, and practically every major online bookseller. So, and, and it's can, a great book. Yeah, it's it's great, really lots of good stories. That's we, for we sure. Can, can you repeat? Can you repeat the uh, web address again? Because you just you dipped out right in the middle of it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's www.debshome.com. Debs Home. Okay. Well, we'll send you a link when this goes up, and I don't know. We may have to have you back. I have so many more questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be glad to. I appreciate well, it. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I you. appreciate have it. You day. too. Bye right. right now. Bye bye. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. 
Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.